I'm glad we're in frozen, not in chilled. Um, yeah. Pizza is is fairly um, recession recession proof. And some ready meals actually grow during recession because people are eating out less. So they'll buy okay. a pizza in rather than you know, order for, go to a restaurant, order a takeaway. So it's, it's going to be a really challenging. What's definitely the case is that the supermarkets are battening down hatches. So as you said earlier, they're, they're, not, they're not putting in the number of new products that they were a year or two ago and they're being very cautious about introducing new brands and, and companies because of supply chain issues. So welcome to the Innovate podcast, the show where we discuss, dissect and attempt to rebuild the world of product innovation within consumer goods. Uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by Mike and Joe Hill. Uh, co-founders of One Planet Pizza. Mike and Joe, welcome to the Innovate podcast. How are you both today? Very good. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, looking forward to the chat. Excellent. So let's just, um, so the listeners kind of understand a bit more about the business and about you guys, let's just kind of get to know you. So do you want to each introduce yourself and then um, talk to us about the One Planet Pizza story for a few minutes? Yeah, sure. Yes, I'm Joe, the uh, son of the father and son team. Yeah. I mainly focus on brand building, um, marketing, and uh, product development at uh, okay. this moment in time for the business. Okay, perfect. It's good uh, to meet you, Joe. I'm Mike. I'm the, the father. Obviously, if he's the son, I'm the father of the father. Yeah. And the <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, we started off the business about six, seven years ago. I've been vegan a long time, always loved pizza, wanted to do a plant-based business, and Having enjoyed set up and run several companies during my uh, career, was keen on on getting Joe into running his own business fairly early on. Very good. So give us a, give us a sense of the, um, the the kind of scale of One Planet Pizza now. You, you set it up six or seven years ago. Um, you know, where, where, where can we where can we find the pizzas across the UK? I guess at the moment, uh, yeah, probably seventy eight percent of our turnover is UK based. So yep. we've got. With the business grew fairly organically through uh, independent health stores that probably everyone's got in their in their village town or city center and yep. that's still probably 50 60 percent of what we do more recently we've um we've got a list listing in around uh, 65 asda stores so we've been right. in as those asda stores around the country for the last four or five months on what they call their nurture program focused um, on new challenger brands coming through Whole Foods down in London, those people that are London-based will obviously yeah. know the Whole Foods uh, stores. Uh, and then recently in the UK, we've started getting listings in the uh, Speedy Grocers. People like Getir, right. um, one or two others uh, are, are based around the whole country now. And then you may have some listeners who are abroad. So at the moment, you can get the pizzas uh, in quite a lot of places in Holland, Benelux, um, and one or two places in France, Spain, Portugal, and up in Scandinavia. Very big in Iceland as well, interestingly, Ben. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a surprise. Iceland is very big on frozen food. This is the country, not the store. Right. Okay. Um, very, very big on frozen food in Iceland and, and very strong on plant-based. So I think we're in about 30 or 40 supermarkets, the main couple of chains in Iceland as well. Oh, right. Well, oh, very interesting. Um, uh, so the, the, the show is about product innovation, but as a fellow kind of entrepreneur in the food industry, I'm 
genuinely interested in the startup journey. What, what, what's the kind of the, ma- the main challenge has been over the past few years getting getting the, the business from from zero to where you are today? Plenty of challenges. <laughs> we always uh, we always uh, quite happy to to talk about these and discuss how we work through them. That's um, kind of uh, been a big part of our journey, hasn't it, Mike? Is mm-hmm. overcoming various. Um, unforeseen challenges over the years, uh, yeah. including Brexit, uh, yeah. pandemic, just to name a yeah. few. So, <laughs> I guess, I guess for us, um, the, the thing that stands out is that we started as a very, very small company, and we're still a small uh, challenger brand with yep. very small budgets, very tight budgets, um, and, and very small teams, and um, not many resources to play with. So. Our main challenge over the years has been that we're uh, trying to wrestle our way into a, a hugely dominated traditional sector within frozen category. Yep. So frozen pizza, especially, is um, is absolutely dominated by some huge uh, multinational, you know, household names uh, with enormous budgets and, and enormous buying power. So. That's what we're really up against, and that hasn't changed since we started. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been our, our main obstacle and our main challenge, and still is. Yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's a very, very big, high-penetration category, but that means lots of brands with lots of money. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's finding finding our gap in that market and, yeah. uh, and bringing new customers in and convincing the supermarkets that um, we're offering them a unique point of difference that you know big companies just don't have. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, it's a very, very impressive journey. Um, well, we're, next couple of minutes, we'll just kind of run through some some questions so the listeners can know a bit more about you guys as individuals. Mm. So, starting with you, you Mike, you've been vegan for a couple of decades, I believe now, if not a little yeah. all, longer. All decades. All decades. Wow, gosh. <laughs> um, so, what's your your, your favourite city in the UK for for plant based food from a eating out perspective? Restaurant. Gosh, that's an interesting cool. question. Um, well, we're fortunate enough to live in Norwich, and Norwich, right. Brighton, Bristol, and London are probably the four biggest and best cities in terms of vegan food. Okay. To, um, I'm a little bit biased because before I uh, set up uh, and started working on One Plant Pizza, I actually had a vegan vegetarian restaurant in Norwich. Ah, all right, okay. That's still going now. Some of the menu right. items are still the original ones. So I'm going to be totally biased and say that's probably in Norwich would be my favourite place, even though I don't right. own it or run it anymore. But then I think I'd be looking at um, probably one or two of the, the places in, 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 in Brighton. And I tend to be very much, uh, I love um, Indian food and right. Lebanese food. So I tend to gravitate, even if they're not totally plant-based. In Brighton, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a fantastic Lebanese restaurant, and it's authentic, you know, quite basic but authentic, original Lebanese food. Probably 50%, 60% is vegan. Um, so that would be my go-to, either South Indian, and there's a couple of yeah. really good independents in Norwich called uh, Namaste, or Lebanese, finding a really good one, even if it's not 100% plant-based. I know they can have a great veggie vegan menu. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Lebanese. And Joe, what, what would your, your your final meal be? Your 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 the, the slightly cliche death row meal question. Death row meal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> being loyal and true to the company that we've grown, I'm going to go 
pizza. And to be fair, we just catered a, a wedding and did a hundred percent vegan wedding. Um, now fresh hand stretched dough done by yourself with the fresh, for me, garlicky, fresh tomato sauce, proper passata, lots of that. And then a, a really decent vegan cheese um, and a nice barbecue sauce on top. For me, I think a fresh slice of pizza, Mike, and a bit of garlic mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my final meal. I'll take that. I'll take that to heaven with me any day. Probably a bit Not of so. cheesecake, uh, peanut butter right. cheesecake to follow as well. We always have a dessert. Very good, very good. And then, and then, Joe, as someone who's um, you know you, you you started out your career in the food industry, what would you say to a young young person? considering kind of getting involved in a startup in the uh, in, in the food and drink industry, what, what's your experience been of it thus far? <laughs> no, it is, um, if you're up for a challenge, you'll find it in the food and drink uh, sector. It's, it's yep. very fast moving. Um, it's all about achieving high volumes and maintaining margins. Um, so you, it's not a quick... It's not a quick win. It's no, there, you know, there's no such thing, especially in this category, as an overnight success. Um, and we know that ourselves personally, but talking to brands and, and just immersing ourselves in this community and space. It's, um, you know, I saw a, a talk recently where they compared um, fast-growing challenger brands in multiple categories, and, and the, right. the famous one is is the. Um, you know, is, is the internet, the dot-com space, and it shows you how quickly these brands like Uber, uh, Google can grow enormously and globally over time very rapidly and become huge companies, whereas food and drink are, are much limited. They are, you know, with the product development, um, ingredient prices and competition and shelf space, lots of different factors mean that it just takes a lot longer. So you have yep. to be a little more patient in this game. But yeah, yeah. I think um, the more time we spend in food and drink, the more we enjoy it because, um, you know, you, you get to actually fully immerse yourself in, in your own product and, you know, physically eat it and try it and then look at all of the ingredients and all of the, you know, the competition and the other similar brands. And for us, it's all about plant-based food. So you get to really immerse yourself in the sector and, and get involved on, on a very personal, intimate level. So. I'd highly recommend it for a challenge and for that uh, aspect. If you love food, you get to know everything about it inside out and, and learn yeah. a heck of a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, that, that leads us quite nicely onto the kind of the main topic of the uh, mm-hmm. of the, the, the podcast in that in that case. So we're gonna we're gonna f- focus on 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 products, um, product innovation, and, and and the product itself that you guys have, have developed, and and try and think a little bit about some of the processes that you've used to kind of bring product to market, and and, and think, you know, get your reflections on how the plant based sector is um, is evolving. Um, I wanted just to start with the, your your kind of core pizza products from from mm-hmm. an R and D and innovation perspective. How how hard has it been to develop a, a plant based pizza that delivers on taste and texture and value and all of the expectations that that, that consumers have and you know what was the process that you followed to achieve that yeah I don't, I, it's not difficult to produce a plant-based pizza because a lot of pizzas obviously if it's a vegetarian pizza um the only the only non-vegan thing would be the cheese um Right. A lot of pizza bases are, are vegan. Some of them have egg or milk, tend to be more restaurant ones. But probably the, the majority, the base is vegan, the sauce is vegan. 
the toppings are, are, are vegan unless you're obviously moving towards meat and, and fish. Yeah. And so that really just leaves the cheese. And it's interesting, there was a very popular original uh, Italian pizza called the Mariana, and that mm -hmm. is a cheeseless pizza. It's basically right. the pizza base with the tomato sauce and um, perhaps one or two vegetable toppings and, and olive oil and, and, and oregano and basil on. So vegan pizzas have been around for a long, long time. The challenge is, I think, twofold. First of all, it's around the cheese, because mm -hmm. cheese, rightly so, has had a bad rap over the years. It's only recently started getting better. And a lot of our time and energy over the last few years has been working with different vegan cheese manufacturers and really trying to nail that um, in terms of, uh, yes, taste and texture, also it's stringiness, pulliness, how it how it freezes and then cooks again. So I think that's been a real, real focus. And then the second challenge is the extent to which the vegans, the flexitarians, the reducitarians, climatarians, whatever you call them, those people that are now starting to, to eat vegan or want plant-based pizza, uh, sometimes because of the health and the animals, but increasingly because of the environmental benefits of, of having more plant-based diet. The yeah. challenge is then in how meaty, how how much can you replicate the ham on a Hawaiian, the pepperoni on a on a pepperoni pizza? And, and that's where the challenge comes in. We're finding that it used to be our three cheese and our med veg they used to be our most popular flavors, but now it's the Hawaiian and, and number one is the pepperoni or pepperoni as we as we call it. Right. And it's okay. so the challenge for those ones is about how well you can replicate the meat elements and the cheese elements. So that it's the hardcore, it's not so that these flexitarians, the people that are just trying to swap out a meat and dairy pizza for a plant-based one, we, we want to get to the stage where it tastes as good, they can't notice the difference, and therefore, why wouldn't you do it if it's going to be better for the environment, better for the, the animals? But also, we manage as well to make them slightly better health-wise. We're not claiming that our pizzas are a, a health food. But what we yeah. do claim is that they, because of their plant-based, they have 30% less saturated fat, 20, 25% less salt and sugar. So we, there's no reason at all why we can't make them slightly healthier than the average, you know, big, big multinational pizza. Yeah, sure. Now that's, that's interesting. You mentioned the consumers uh, in terms of segmentation there. Do you, do you know from your retail partners what, what profile of consumers are buying into your into your brand is is it mostly vegans and vegetarians or are you attracting you know flexitarians and omnivores um away from traditional pizza products um yeah this has been a, an ongoing um unanswered debate for us so to begin with it was a lot easier when we were smaller and we were just selling yeah. up to local health stores um because then we had a direct uh, link and communication chain with the people actually behind the pizzas. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd be dropping them off and putting them in the shelves uh, right. in Norwich, and I'd meet the people coming in and buying them every uh, every week. And, and they would mostly be vegans because we were focusing, you know, laser focusing our marketing and brand on, the, you know, at the vegan community back in 2016, 2017. Um, but we know they only make up, um, you know, roughly two, three percent of the UK population. Yeah. So to launch a brand, it made sense to focus on them and they would be our sort of diehard uh, customers for life that would be really supportive and really helpful in terms of feedback and, and helping us build the brand. 
but as we grew sort of 27 up 2017 up until now we've been very conscious that the the much larger proportion of the consumers that might buy pizzas and um and it's, a, and it's continuing to grow is is the flexitarian consumer so that hasn't slowed right. down i think they now make up very roughly you know one in i think about 30 percent of households um have a flexitarian in them which is incredible mm -hmm. and uh, th this is the chunk of the population that we think we're appealing to the most um now we can't afford a lot of that data to prove it from the supermarkets as a small brand which is a sure. which is part of the challenge but um we can sort of find this out through other ways like social media um viper which we'll come to later i'm sure and, yeah. and there are other tools we can use um internally without trying to get the actual data from the supermarkets but hopefully if we launch with someone like uh tesco or co-op for example then as soon as they have a club card which links uh, all of that uh, consumer information back to what they're purchasing then we start getting a lot of that rich data but yeah. um from what we gather educated guesses at the moment um, most of the people buying our pizzas in Asda, for example, are um, slightly more affluent than their average shopper, usually yep. AB households, um, a lot of young families or young couples starting families. And uh, we think they're, um, they're not vegan, probably not vegetarian. Most of them are going to be flexitarian um, or just generally quite interested in healthier choices. Um, right. So this is something we need, to, we need to find out as soon as possible um and have some data to seriously back it up but um yeah. it's still quite early days for us to find that out yeah yeah sure okay i i, I mean i personally find the plant-based sector fascinating i think it's the most interesting part of the food and drink industry at the moment because it's 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 one well it's the only category that kind of crosses every potential food and drink category really in terms yes. of the impact it could have I, I, either kind of further down the supply chain or direct directly in the products that consumers are buying Mike, you've been in and around it for you know twenty or thirty years. What are your observations on the on the plant based sector as a whole at, at the moment? How how is it evolving? I, I mean, the big change is the is the the movement of the the big um, producers, the big co manufacturers, the big brands into it. Obviously, yeah. for 30, 40, 20, even ten years ago, if you wanted to get a vegan sausage or burger or cheese or or even milk, it was you were really limited to a very small specialist brand. So take, for example, something like uh, Oatly. You know, people don't realize yeah. that Oatly has been around for 20, 25 years. And right. I used to see it in independent specialist health stores alongside uh, another brand called uh, Provenel, which has been around for a long, a long, long time. And it would sit there and it looked your classic you know, specialist bit hippie, bit, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that you find in an independent health store, but nowhere yeah. else at all. And, and then Oatly suddenly decided to reposition themselves and move out of the specialist market into the mass market, completely brand, complete uh, you know, change in, in market positioning. And, and they're now one of the biggest and fastest growing uh, plant-based milk companies out there. But we've yeah. now had, we feel the competition and the big change, I guess, in terms of large companies like um, Dr. Goodfellas, Dr. Sorry, Dr. Opkids or Goodfellas, um, the big, massive international pizza companies, and are, are now moving into uh, the plant-based pizza se sector. 
But then, then the other thing is you've got quite large, well-funded new companies, challenger companies like Meatless Farm, this coming into you know, the meat and the dairy. You've got the American companies coming over, like Beyond um, coming over as well. Most of these companies, not most of them, some of them have got massive, massive backing. But they're now coming up against the, the meat and dairy companies. Who you know? Who are now starting to buy out brands and and or develop their own brands? So we've got something like um, Garden Gourmet, for example. First saw the adverts for it about a year ago. It looks for for anything it's worth. It looks like it's a new independent challenger brand focusing on plant-based food for ethical reasons. Who's owned by Nestle? Right. <laughs> you, you just just don't realise. So. You know, people like Nestle, Unilever are now developing you know, brands or sub-brands that look uh, just like you know, real challenger brands like ourselves. So it, we're really fighting on so many different levels and it's, there's so much noise out there that it's really yeah. difficult to, to cut through. I guess you know, sometimes we talk about ourselves being the, trying to be the Ben & Jerry's of the pizza world. Right. That's what Ben & Jerry's model. But... I think the challenge is that um, I think it would be very much more difficult for Ben and Jerry's to do what they did ten years ago compared to now, because the bigger or the, the bigger companies, the multinationals, have now you know got their own incubator schemes. They've got their own plant-based uh, divisions, which are, are looking at you know produce either investing or buying out or or developing their own their own plant-based challenger brands. So it's, it's it's a really interesting, but very flexible and very challenging marketplace. Yeah, for sure. There's a huge amount of interest and, and, and arguably the retailers have, have slightly plateaued, I think, in the last year or two in terms of the amount of space that they've Definitely. they've got versus versus the volume of, of brands and manufacturers coming into the uh, coming into the sector. So I think, yeah, there's a slight inflection point coming up soon. Definitely. Um, if, you look, if you go down the chilled sector and look at plant based um, meats, you know, burgers and sausages, the number of brands there is is crazy, you know, and they've got a ridiculous amount of brands. They've got one or two SKUs from each brand. Yeah, and it looks uh, looks a bit of a mess compared yeah, to yeah, the rest of the supermarket. So I think there's definitely going to be some rationalisation and falling out there. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very interesting space. Um, <clears throat> so just thinking about um, product innovation uh, again, what what are your guys' plans from an innovation perspective in terms of how you kind of maintain this? This growth rate and bring more and more people into the uh, the brand over the coming years. Yeah, for us, the, the more um, the more research we do and, and the more we look um, at sort of customer feedback and um, and the market itself and the competition, the more we realise that um, for us, for pizza, taste is king, um, and it seems more and more important that we focus on flavor um, and indulgence and seeing pizza as a treat. Um, and we're learning, so for example, launching into Asda, we're learning more about how these shoppers in particular, I think the flexitarian market in the UK at least, want the, want the meatier, uh, cheesier, more realistic alternatives uh, for right. pizza at least uh, than, we, than we ever presumed. So um, that's been really interesting for us because we thought it was going that way, but every time we launch into a, a new uh, retailer or store, it seems to um, it seems to be more and more apparent that uh, that's what the average shopper is after. So it's helping us sort of 
just tweak our direction in terms of innovation and product development. Um, so MPD, we're looking at moving towards more meaty, more cheesy alternatives um, okay. than we would have done on our own. And, uh, and I think in, in terms of the range itself, for us, the, the competition is heating up and compared to when we launched and there was no other vegan pizza on the market, every now every now six months or so there seems to be a new vegan pizza launching whether it's a new brand or a, a larger existing brand um so the latest was crosta and monica the, the sort of high high uh, top end premium italian uh frozen yeah. pizza brands, um at a higher price point so they've got a very strong proposition they've just launched their first vegan pizza offering so um again that's competition that wasn't there six 12 months ago so right for me the focus now is is to um is to look at ways we can even further improve and premiumize our current range so an example is we're currently using a a really good um stone baked uh pizza base thin and crispy but we've just started uh, sampling one which is wood fired stone baked and sourdough um right it's i think it's you know if ours is now an eight or nine out of ten this one is probably a nine or ten mm -hmm. so um for me the priority is just making sure we remain the best tasting vegan pizza on the market um, yep. that's our best shot i think and that's who we want to be uh, that's the brand we want to be known as just like mike said with ben and jerry's i think they'll always seem to be you know the take they get recognized as the tastiest ice cream in that category so yeah. For me, that's um, that's the focus. We're looking at ways to constantly um, tweak and improve our current core range offering, um, and probably slightly taking uh, the foot off the pedal of MPD, um, mm -hmm. not, not completely. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the focus for me going forwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think innovation can be a bit of a distraction for smaller brands at times because there's just a belief that you need to keep innovating to, to stay alive. But actually having a core range of three or four absolutely market beating products is arguably a better way to maintain that, that kind of growth and authenticity and very loyal customer base. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting fact we always uh, get amazed by is that 70 to 80% of pizzas sold in Europe are only three flavors, right? Three cheese, yeah. um, it? three cheese, pepperoni and med, med veg, med veg right. yeah. or meat is feast. I think it's a meat piece. Meat yeah. piece, yeah. In the UK, it's so it's, it's incredibly cool. condensed. You know, most yeah. people will just buy one or three flavors, and all the other flavors look very interesting, exciting, but take make up a very small percentage of the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that's the way with many categories. You've got this kind of eighty twenty rule of eighty percent of the value going through twenty percent of the uh, the range, and that's uh, the the case with startups and yes. entire big categories as well. Um, so you, your your success as, as a brand over over recent years, what what would you put it put it down to, then, you know, rather than just feeding you with some answers, I, I want to leave that question open. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what you what you say. Do you want me to go? Yeah, go for it. For me, it's um, I like to think we have a, <laughs> a sort of a relentless, tireless drive and passion, um, which is sort of uh, feeding our energy uh to push forward so we're never never resting never sitting still um hence the focus on always innovating and, and improving the current range yeah um, you know and then there are loads of challenges and uh we have faced them all over the last few years 
and uh, really started from pretty much nothing. Uh, but we are still a very, you know, vegan pizza in general as a, as a subsector is very small. Um, and, you know, if we can only get a, a small percentage of that small category, then uh, we can start, um, you know, shifting some serious volumes. So we know the, the opportunities there and we know the it's a it's a real David and Goliath situation. But I think me and Mike have always enjoyed the sort of uh, Rodney and Delvoy challenge <laughs> against the odds challenge. Right. Um, and I don't think that's ever really stopped from day one. Really. Right. I think we've always we've always just loved the challenge and we've always believed that one way or another, you know, we will get there. And when we I don't know what that success looks like, but I think um, we won't stop until we get there. Um, and that, I don't think that's ever really faltered, has it? No, no, no. And it is uh, most of is most of your growth in the future likely to come from retail? Do you think, or are you going to maintain those kind of diverse channels of either direct to consumer? Yeah, I think D to C is. Um, I mean, and certainly our D to C as a percentage of our overall sales has gone down since um, since the end of lockdowns and pandemics. Right. Uh, and, and there's a challenge with frozen food. Obviously, it, it costs more money, and there's less environmentally friendly yeah. to, to do direct to consumer with with frozen. Um, so I think our growth will come two channels probably. Um, and that's UK retail. We, we, we're doing pretty well in ASDA, so we're hoping that that will expand soon, or and or right. another listing. And then, interestingly, even you know, despite the Brexit. Um, We've actually grown more in our export countries than we have in the UK. Um, right. In Benelux, um, certainly, as I said, in Iceland, one or two other smaller countries. It's interesting that the, the competition is less fierce and the market is less price sensitive than it is in, in the UK. Right, OK. Germany, probably, is the one exception. If you go to Germany, because it's, it's they do eat a lot of frozen pizza and it's dominated by Audi and, and Lidl. They've driven down the price. so. With the exception of Germany, I think we've got potentially bigger opportunities outside of the UK than we have right. uh, inside the UK. And how, how have you uh, un unlocked that? Have you been using export agencies or have you, how have you kind of gone about building that business outside of the UK? Yeah, we've got a super distributor who's based in Holland who we've right. uh, been working with for three or four years. Found the DT DTI being very supportive. We've got a great contact um, in, in okay. DTI. Market trade and industry, um, who's, who's provided with information, but also some very good grants, uh, which allowed us to uh, employ a specialist consultant for 12 months, and that right. really got the running start. Um, because I think, uh, yeah, I think it's less price sensitive in some of these countries. There's one or two countries where they charge VAT on frozen pizza, which, like Spain and Portugal, which drives the price up and makes it more sensitive. Okay. But um, certainly in Holland, you know, it's been, it's been a really big growth area for us. And as I said, Iceland has been um, rapid growth over the last 12 months as well. And, and, and in terms of UK retail, I mean, that, that is often the, the prize for uh, any kind of UK food and drink startup. You, you guys have, have, have won the listing at Asda and, and, and successfully maintained it. What, what advice would you give to other uh, entrepreneurs in you know, different categories about how, how to kind of go about tackling that retail? Uh, challenge. I guess our learnings are um, that stand out off the top of my head would be that we've um, 
we've never hidden away from sort of being authentic and being ourselves uh, as the founders and owners of the business we've always um you know approached we've got a commercial manager but i think it's it's really valuable to show your face at meetings and to be part of those email threads and jump in occasionally um just to show how involved you are and committed to growing the brand with the retailers um and a lot of stuff i've seen recently is sort of backed up um what i've always believed in which was just to really have a personality because for us uh other challenger brands in the industry we're up against um you know huge global conglomerates you know nestle's and these buyers will have meetings with with senior people from nestle and unilever and they'll all probably talk the same way and be very uh, you know very business minded and professional and talk a lot about yeah. numbers and for buyers that's probably not very exciting so it, it, the advantage of a challenger brand is if you can come along and have a bit of a personality and a bit of a story and yeah. mix it up a little bit then um, I think that will, A, that will help you get noticed and remembered for these buyers, but also B, it just breaks up their day and it probably, um, you know, it's a bit more fun and interesting for them. So you're, you're more likely to get remembered. Um, so that, that's what I think was really helpful for us to get in front of Asda. And also right. just not being, not being afraid if you send five emails and don't get a reply across six months, <laughs> you've just got to, yeah. you've got to be, um, I heard a, a podcast recently where, Another founder said you've got to you've got to use polite harassment, which I thought was quite <laughs> appropriate terminology. Yeah, very good. You've got to find a good balance, and you know Matt's been brilliant um, from our team because I think he emails, um, you know, say for example when we're trying to get into Asda, it was an email every week with a slightly different story and update to keep it fresh and interesting. Right. And then, okay. and then eventually, however many months in, he got a reply, and it was for the incubator. So you've just got to be prepared um, to play the long game. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and and the, the context that we find ourselves in now in terms of the cost of living crisis, how, how how do you think that's likely to impact startups and SMEs in the food and drink sector over the next year? Yeah, I, I think it's got to make it uh, got to make it tougher, hasn't it? I think um, I was listening to a classic uh, old Tony Robbins broadcast and. It wasn't that old actually because he was talking about um, this concept of seasonality and winter time from a business and economic point of view and he was saying right. you know winter time is the time to to really focus on getting the basics right planning for the future getting ready for spring and summer where you know know it's going to grow so i think to a certain extent you know winter time is about survival and it does uh, you know some some plant-based businesses aren't going to get through this next year or two definitely I think we've got a slight advantage in that frozen food and pizza in particular is a little bit resistant to cost of living prices. Yep. Yep. Um, but on the downside, we are a slightly niche premium product, which you know, might fall about, about by the wayside in some people's shopping baskets. So I think there's frozen cons as I said. I'm glad we're in frozen, not in chilled. Um, yep. Pizza is, is fairly... Um, recession recession proof and some ready meals actually grow during recession because people are eating out less so they'll buy okay. a pizza in rather than you know order go to the restaurant order a takeaway so it's, it's going to be you know, really challenging what's definitely the case is that the supermarkets are battening down hatches so as you said earlier there's they're, they're not they're not putting in the number of new products that they were a year or two ago 
and they're being very cautious about introducing new brands and, and companies because of supply chain issues. So that's yeah. something else that we're, we're actually addressing as we speak is improving our uh, production and supply chain right. capability because that's something which the, the big multiples are really looking at now. How it's all right going with a, a young brand and launching in or challenger brand and launching into supermarkets, but how resilient is their supply chain? Because it's a nightmare for them if three months in you suddenly can't get your your tomatoes over from Italy or whatever. Sure, so sure. I think supply chain resilience is going to be crucial. Right. Okay. And so do you, do you think it's fair to say that innovation will take a little bit of a back seat for the next six to twelve months? Um, for, for us, sorry, Ben, or generally? Uh, I guess I guess both. We're interested in, in your guys' perspective, but also what you think about the kind of the plant sector as, as a whole. Is that uh, is is the industry likely to kind of rein back on on MPD and innovation whilst this kind of economic yeah, crisis? Yeah, I'll say over? Thing, Joe, and then pass over to you. I think it will, if only because the whole investment, mm. um, the investment landscape has totally changed. From yeah, a year, two years ago, it's, it's, yeah. There's a hell of it's much more difficult to get risk investment and at the moment. Um, you know, most right. of the funds are, 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 are closing or reducing significantly what they do. Um, I think a lot of uh, investors are focusing on their existing investments and supporting them and making sure that they get through the next year or two. Yeah. So there's definitely less funding around in terms of you know early stage pre-startup bootstrap right up to series a i think there's a lot less funding opportunities um, right, okay. so that's got to in some ways that's got to you know halt or, or reduce innovation but i guess on the other hand it's it's when businesses get under stress and get challenged that that you've got to be more innovative in some ways so yeah, yeah. you know it's that balance that we are looking at doing you know, one or two things to our pizza range, which is going to make it more have more USB, more distinctive. So that, I guess that is innovation, but it's it's more uh, tweaking and changing things rather than coming up with big new launches. I'd say. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, we are, we are running out of time, um, guys. But we're going to end, end on a, a positive note and move away from economic crises. Um, <laughs> what, what's the uh, what, what's the best? product launch you've seen in the market over the last couple of years other companies uh, yes yeah we've actually been yeah. stacking on one <laughs> right here right <laughs> so um we, we share invested. it's another plant-based brand um right so it's founder led we know the guys quite well we share some of the same investors which helps so okay. this is uh, native snacks um, so they do um the world's first uh, branded vegan uh, alternative to prawn crackers. Okay. So um, right. hugely, hugely addictive. Um, pretty much the same price, uh, uh -huh. and I think they've launched into a couple of UK supermarkets. Mm -hmm. um, so fairly easy to find and follow in the UK. But right. uh, yeah, that's a, just a really nice, easy alternative um, to, to what was once not a, a vegan product at all. And how does that deliver on? taste and texture versus the kind of the the equivalent that everyone has I eaten at Chinese restaurants. 
Yeah. I think it is noticeably different, but I think in a good way, it's, I've let a lot of people who aren't vegan try it and they're all pretty Mm. obsessed. Right. I think it's a, it's a pretty easy swap. Um, Another one for me would be uh, minor figures. One of sort of the, uh, one of the bigger UK based um, oat milk companies, but they do an incredible, I get a subscription of their, uh, barrister, uh, barrister milk because um, right, Easter milk because uh, it doesn't uh, curdle like a lot of them, and that's I, I think it's better than Oatly. It's a very good product. Oh really? Right, I'll have to try that. Okay. Mm. Okay. Any very good. No, no, I'd go with those two. Good choice. Yeah, it's a lot of good. One, one of the quick one, Ben. One of the best chocolates we ever had, and there's a lot of good vegan uh, brands out there now. But we got sent some um, on bar, so O M bar. Um, right. They do a new oat milk range, which they haven't ever done before. Um, okay. So it's slightly healthier. They did like a, a chocolate truffle oat milk bar um, in sort of fully compostable packaging. But that's one of the best chocolates I've ever had. So keep keep your eyes peeled for that one. I will do. On bar. Right. I've written that down. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, unfortunately, guys, we're, we're out of time. I found it fascinating talking to you. I could talk for another hour or two. Um, but thank you very much for your time, both of you. No, Ben, it's been a pleasure. We'd like to thank you for, for um, I know it's not about Viper for this podcast, but uh, I've, we definitely found it really mm. good to all to use for the next last three months. Every time we make an approach to one of the supermarkets, we always do some uh, research on Viper and use that. That's good to hear. Kind of central for our presentation. So, yeah, keep up the good work in mm. developing that company, definitely. No, that's very good to hear. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, Mike, Joe, thank you for your time. Uh, and... Yeah, thanks again. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Okay. We really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Innovate podcast. To hear more bi-weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button below. Thank you.